Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bears Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries in DeRitter, Louisiana, uh, coming to you all the way from a cold and rainy, I love it, southwest Louisiana. It doesn't get cold here very often or for very long, and uh, so when we get cold weather, it's exciting. I know some of you out there may be listening going, what are you talking about? I would take 80 degrees and sunny all day long. And I don't blame you. I would take 80 degrees and sunny all day long also, except for here most of the year. It's above that and uh, sunny, although humid, uh, and it's just, it's kind of terrible. But wherever you are today, uh, whether it is bright and sunny and clear, or whether it's dreary and cold and maybe even snowy, I pray that you are well and I pray that the Father is blessed you and uh, and all things are good. And so it's been a few weeks, uh, actually since Sukkot, since we've done a new episode. So please forgive me for that, for our regular listeners. And um, for those of you that are here for the first time, welcome aboard. Uh, we have some exciting stuff to talk about today. Uh, but I hope that everyone had a wonderful Sukkot and that you are uh, still basking in the residue of Sukkot. And um, we have done uh, an episode uh, or two around the idea this last year in the feast days of so like so what right so we did a Passover so what we did a Shavuot so what uh, I think we did a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur so what and it's the idea of uh, not getting not getting too far ahead of ourselves and and most of us I think have this. This kind of rhythm where we we celebrate a feast day and we prepare and we study and then we celebrate the day, the, the holy day. And then after it's over, we kind of move on to what's next. We look forward again to what's next and what's coming up. And while that is good and right, uh, sometimes we don't think about the implications of that day that we just celebrated, right? And so it's kind of like, so you celebrate Sukkot, so what, right? And we did one of those for Sukkot. And so I hope that, you know, you are still thinking about the so what of Sukkot. And um, and as we prepare for Hanukkah, Purim, and uh, especially the, the first uh, holy day of the new cycle, uh, Pesach, um, that you still are kind of in that idea of like, okay, so we celebrated all the festivals last year. Um, so, so what? So what is going to be different this year? Or how does that inform our celebration and our uh, adherence for this coming year? What can we build upon? And the idea is a building, not like every year you celebrate, you're celebrating for the first time, right? So um, I hope that we are building each and every year and that uh, our our celebration and our acknowledgement of the Holy Days are getting deeper and deeper and better and uh, more meaningful, and Hashem is revealing more and more layers to us each year. 
So this week, uh, we have an exciting topic to talk about. If you have followed us on Shabbat, uh, you will have heard some of this already. But I know that many of you uh, have your own congregations or you're you're just going to schedule or whatever. You don't uh, get to tune in for Shabbat, and uh, that's great. And so this is our opportunity to share uh, some of these things here. So before we do that, let as always we do, let us go to the Father in prayer and bless him for this time uh, that we have together. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, Avinu Shibashimayim, our Father that is in heaven, we bless you with everything that is in us, and we thank you for leading us on this path, for drawing us closer to you, and Father, I pray today as we visit that we can see another layer, another depth to who you've called us to be. So today, I want to talk about something very exciting, uh, exciting for me. This may land for you. This may not. It's okay. Um, but I want to start out by broaching a topic that we've talked about several times here on, on, on the, the radio show and the podcast, and that is the issue of identity. And I, it is my, uh, it's, it's my conclusion that what most of us, especially in our, in the Hebraic walk, Messianic, Hebrew roots, it's our greatest challenge is identity. It is trying to figure out who we are, what we believe, what is our identity. And so we have so much to work through, so many layers to work through uh, when we talk about this because of our kind of the way we have been brought up and the way to think about some of these things. One of the, you know, the big challenges, and it's hard for us, it's hard for non-Jews to get our head around, is that the Jewish people really don't struggle with identity so much because they are both a religion and a people. And we are not that. We are a people with varying religions as the nations. And yes, denominations, you know, would fall under that, that category. So, we really struggle with identity. And th- while this is not going to be a doctrinal uh, episode, we're not going to talk doctrine uh, and, you know, and theology necessarily, uh, I, I think this, is, this topic and, and some of these ideas may be a little different for you. You may have heard them. You may be very comfortable with them. But I'm going to guess for the most of us, this is going to be a little different. And again, you can agree, disagree, doesn't you know, it doesn't really change things as far as I'm concerned. What I want you to do is hear um, maybe a little different way of explaining your identity and at least think about it. Take some time to let it sink in, roll it around, think about it. And we struggle with all different kinds of layers of identity. And what I find generally, and I think if we, you know, I think uh, sociology would tell us this, psychology would tell us this, and some modern scholars, biblical scholars even, have done some some real deep thinking about this. This idea that in the West, Western Christianity, we we identify really with our religion, 
our religion uh, becomes our identity. What do I mean by that? Well, it's all about what you believe, and that pretty much puts you in a in a box, uh, not in a negative way, but just puts it puts some parameters around you and and gives you an identity. And so the idea is, you know, so I grew up, the, the most formative and majority of my years uh, was Southern Baptist and small country Baptist churches, a uh, couple of larger churches in there, but mostly smaller, you know, Southern Baptist churches. And it was easy for me to be, uh, for my identity to be created through that because every Sunday when you walked into the church, on the wall in the foyer was our statement of faith. And it was beautifully done, nice frame, but there it was, you know, 10, 12, whatever it was, statements of who we are. And this, this who we are in the statement of faith was all about what we believe. It wasn't necessarily about anything that we do. It was just about what we know and what we have mentally attained, right? Which again is not bad. I'm not throwing stones here. I'm just trying to explain and, and get a groundwork for where we're going in this episode. And the, the, the questions are, well, it's, it's not, it is important what you do. And, and, you know, the churches that I grew up in, it was important what you did. You wanted to be faithful to uh, the, the witness of Messiah and to the, you know, the work of Messiah. And yet it wasn't quite as important as what you did as just so you still believed what we believe. Then you were safe. Then you were still saved, Right. And so the, the, this became your identity. It's the church you went to. Now, identity and faith, your, your faith is a different kind of conversation. But you, the church or the religion that you are a part of becomes your identity. Well, what happens whenever you start to believe things that are a little different from your particular church? Well, then there begins to come some, become some question about whether or not you're still a part of them or not. And so it's about it's about belief. It's almost it's almost gnostic in a way. And so we some of us left our our formative churches and went to different denominations because we found things in Scripture that were relevant that another denomination you know held up as relevant. And so we identified with that and we we went there. And so we didn't call ourselves Baptists anymore. Maybe we called ourselves Nazarene or or Catholic or. Pentecostal or whatever. Eventually, throughout the circuitous, you know, way that life does, we find ourselves in this walk. And granted, most of us, many of us still don't know what to call this walk, and that's okay. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about labels and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it is about, is about what we believe and who we are. And so in this walk, as most of you who are, you know, paying attention will notice there's a lot of different variations and derivations of belief systems in the Hebraic, you know, walk, in the Messianic walk. And so much so that we, if, if you think about it, you have some segments of our, our circles that are, they identify themselves by how you pronounce the name, or their identity is wrapped up in what calendar they keep, or whether you're of the Melchizedek priesthood or not, or whether you believe that, or whether you have Jewish lineage or you don't, or what, you know, whether you're lunar Sabbatarian or, and, and all these things, and we divide ourselves from each other based on what we believe. Now, the truth is 
that most of us, the vast majority of us, are all doing our best to keep Shabbat. We're all doing our best to eat clean in whatever way we understand that. We're all doing our best to follow Hashem's sacred times. You know, we're all doing our best to be fair and to treat each other, you know, with respect and dignity. And so what we're doing, our actual actions are pretty close, even though we believe, even though we've gotten there by different means. And my argument is that really Hebraic faith, biblical faith is more about what you do than, than the intricacies of why you do that and what you believe. And I know that's something that's really hard for us to grasp because it is true that belief is the beginning, right? How you understand things, what you understand, what you believe is the beginning. But we focus so much on that that we've stayed there and we've hashed out and gotten way down in the weeds of, of what and how we are to believe. And we've forgotten about the importance of how it is to behave. And so we have all these identity issues. And, and, and when we learn something new, we begin to identify as something different sometimes. And so I want to just kind of take all of that that menagerie, all of that stuff, and just wipe it off the table and just go, let's just start over with a clean slate. I was blessed uh, after Sukkot for a good friend of mine to recommend, and she actually sent me this book. Um, and I, if you follow us on Shabbat, you know, I'm always recommending books or I try to recommend books uh, from a wide variety of different sources and people. Um, not because I think everybody is going to connect with these resources, but I am, I am convinced that the more we know and the more we're exposed to, the more input we have, the more we can flesh out uh, truth. We can seek truth. We can know how, how to see truth, how to know our discernment strengthens, all these things. So um, this book, this is going to sound really new agey if you came from a real fundamentalist type of uh, background. This feels new agey to me, um, but I'm pushing through it because it's very valuable, I think. This book is by Rabbi Shmuel Reichman, and it's called The Journey to Your Ultimate Self, Lech Lecha. And uh, again, if you've heard us on Shabbat, you've heard me talk about this, but this, the ideas in this book so far have been things that I have thought about, marinated on, meditated on for years for years. And you know, you may you may understand this. You have some thoughts and you think, man, that really feels and really seems like there's something there for me, but it also could be really heretical and I really could be off as well. So I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to let it sit and just let it marinate, right? And so you you may have had that experience. I know I certainly have when it comes to this. So just a little quick testimony. And I think I've mentioned this before, but several years ago, this has been even before I found the Torah. This has been when I was still ministering in, in church. Um, I, I had had several traumatic experiences, as most of us have, not to put mine above anybody else's, but we all have had traumatic experiences, I would imagine. And I realized that those experiences had warped me in some ways, and I just didn't I didn't like how I thought about life. I didn't like how I saw myself. I didn't like really my outlook on God and the scriptures. I thought that was kind of twisted and warped and, and not helpful. And so I began to pray a prayer. And 
I didn't hear this from anybody. This came from just my insides. And the prayer was something like this. It's been something, and I've been praying this prayer for, I don't know, 15, 18 years. And it was something like, okay, God, I believe that whenever you created me, that you created something that was beautiful and right, and that you had a unique idea when you created me. Kind of riffing off the, the quote from Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Now, that is particularly particularly to Jeremiah, and sometimes we co-opt that like, oh, this is my life verse, but it, it's, it's to Jeremiah. But we can extrapolate from that and say, well, yeah, I mean, of course, God creates each of us with individual purposes, uh, you know, and, and individual callings and uniquenesses and gifts and all those things, and I believe that. And if God is perfect and good and just and loving, then whatever, whatever he created, for me, I see it like the, in my, in my you know, mind's eye picture that I, the movie that plays in my head is Hashem looking across human history and looking at a particular time, for me, 1980, and saying, I see a, I see a small gap in humanity. The world needs a Joe Amon III. And the gap that Joe Amon III is to fill is going to need this gift and that gift and this personality and that personality and this wiring and this this empathy or this logic or this creativity or this curiosity or analytic or whatever. And so God fashioned Joe or Steve or Rebecca or, you know, whatever. And, and he had a particular perfect design before I was even born because the world needed something. And God implanted his divine spark, his imprint, his image, or part of that part of his image in me and birthed me into the world, right? 1980, February 19, 1980. Now, my background would tell me that the minute I came into the world, I was born in sin, right? And yet, we also have this idea of the age of accountability, which, which tells us that, well, you're not really accountable until like 12, 13, which means all the stuff you do before then if you died, you know, God forbid, a child passes, you're not going to be held accountable for those things. You're going to go to heaven. After 12 or 13, whatever the, the, the number is, you know, for each particular denomination, after that, you are accountable. If you haven't prayed the sinner's prayer, you're going to hell. And so which one is it? Am I born in sin and accountable at the moment of birth, or do I have, do I have 12 years to figure it out, you know? So I... I I began to pray this, okay, God, since birth, I whatever whatever idea that was that you had for me has been warped in some ways. It's been it's been mangled in some ways, it's been perverted, it's been twisted in some ways by people that have manipulated, taken advantage, whatever of me, by decisions that I have made that have caused consequences that I had to live through, which is, which is traumatic sometimes. And by decisions, by just life, right? 
and my inability to be able to cope and handle life. And so my prayer began to be, Father, I, I want to humbly ask that you restore me to whatever it was, whoever it was that you created in the beginning, before people used and abused, before I made really knucklehead decisions that caused trauma in my own life, before life got a hold of me and, and twisted and warped me in certain ways, that now I, I deal with life in a really unhealthy way. I deal with people in an unhealthy way, right? Restore to me that original intent. Restore me to your the ultimate idea of who you created me to be. And that's a, for me, that's a, a, a very bold and, and, but yet healing prayer that, that I want to return. And so the idea of, of Shuva, of, of returning, how do you return or what do you return to if you've never made a commitment to God in the first place? What do you return to? See, when we, we talk about, when we get saved, we talk about repenting. And we talk about it in a Christian context of turning away from, right? Turning away from sin, turning away from evil deeds. But the biblical, uh, the biblical idea of repentance, of teshuva, as most of you will know, has another connotation. The, the, the kind of the, the, the other half of returning is not only, and I would argue not primarily turning away from something, but it is turning to, and not only turning to, God and away from sin, but it is returning. The, 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 the big kind of thrust of teshuva is returning. Well, what do you return to if it's your first time ever approaching God for salvation through Yeshua, through, through Messiah? What are you returning to? Uh, that's the question. The answer is you're returning to what Hashem created you to be originally when you were a thought in his mind, when you were a plan, when he was, when he knew you before he even formed you. That's what we're talking about. When, when someone comes to God, comes to Yeshua, comes to Messiah, and is asking for forgiveness and for salvation and for redemption and, and to be born again or to be reborn, what are we actually, what is that process actually, what are we actually asking for? And the tragedy is that we have been asking for generations and generations to be saved from sin, which is right and which is accurate. However, we've missed this huge part, in my opinion, that we are really, our minds should be understanding that we are asking to be reborn to the original intent that God created us for, which is without without being a slave to sin, which is without being a slave to death, all those things. But it is, when we, when we come to Messiah, we are being born again. Well, what does that mean? That means we're returning to the original intent that God created us with before our life was filled with sin, before we subjected ourselves to sin, before, again, people manipulated us and life twisted us and all those things, right? We are making shuva. We are returning to God's original intent. So all of these, these things, I, I've, these ideas, I've thought of for a long, long time. And I've prayed this prayer for many, many years without even having any kind of, uh, you know, other than scriptures that I, that I saw in this light, without having any kind of confirmation or any kind of other voice going like, yeah, that, you're, you know, you're on the right track. That's, that's the idea. And I certainly, 
you know, didn't find that in, in Christianity anywhere that I looked. And if I did find, you know, sprinklings of it, it was from mostly like the word of faith or prosperity gospel type of corners of our, our circles. And that comes with so much baggage. I never really, never really got into, you know, into, into those things. And so maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't, but what I found in Rabbi Reichman's book is exactly the wording that I've been looking for, exactly the, 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 the sourcing and the, the ideas and the thought process and words from the sages that have been thinking about this, you know, a thousand times longer than I have. And it has really kind of helped to, to begin to codify and bring some of these thoughts together. And so in the second segment, I want to share some thoughts from this book give you the name again, and I encourage you to go out and get it if you, uh, if it's something that interests you and lands for you. And so in the second segment, we're going to get into uh, the book, Journey to Your Ultimate Self, Lech Lecha. Don't go away. We'll be right back just after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So, I want to begin uh, after the introduction uh, to Rabbi Reichman's book, which is is great. It's very short. The thing I love about this book is that, uh, as I've confessed before, I'm not a great reader. Um, I, I never have enjoyed reading, and so it, it really is a chore for me to read and comprehend and to get uh, you know get the depth of what an author is trying to say, and so. Uh, this book is laid out by Parsha, and so it's you know six or eight, maybe ten pages per Parsha, which for me is really like for some of you they'd be like, well yeah, just you know I can read that in two minutes and and it's not enough. For me, it's perfect. So if you struggle with reading and comprehension like I do, um, this may it may be another reason why this might be helpful. So uh, each uh, Parsha uh, begins with a small story, and I love I've heard this story before, but I love how he incorporates it. And so I want to just read some of this to you, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So the story goes like this. Uh, Michelangelo was once asked, you know, how do you create uh, the, these, these wondrous sculptures, these, these miraculous sculptures, and, you know, and, and when, you're, when you're doing your, you know, your sculptures, and these, these works of art that seem to be just perfection, um, how, how can something so beautiful and creative come from, you know, somebody with mortal hands. And I'm sure those in Michelangelo's day uh, knew of, you know, his humanity, his issues, his challenges, his whatever. And the story goes that without skipping a beat, Michelangelo responded, quote, before I even begin my work, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block. My job is simply to discover it and then chisel away the superfluous material. The dormant and this, that's the end of the quote. Uh, the dormant potential already exists beneath the surface. The job of the artist, Michelangelo in this case, is simply to discover that which is hidden within and then transform the concealed into the revealed. And so, in Michelangelo's mind, not to put words in his mouth, but 
He never created anything. All he did was remove what didn't need to be there, and the, the, the miraculous, beautiful sculpture was already there within the stone. And so there's this idea in Judaism, in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that I had only heard a couple of times before, but really have sunk my teeth into. And before I get to, to kind of reading this and expanding on this, let me just say, these understand that this this discussion is 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 not i don't take it as literally the way things happen for each one of us necessarily this is a way that the sages and and they probably did believe this is the way it happened actually for me this is a way to explain um how we deal with with who we are now let me ask you this before i get into this have you ever had an aha moment have you ever heard something that just clicked? It just, you hear it, and then all of a sudden it's like, yes, yes. It, something resonates with the, the deepest parts of your reality, of who you are, right? It may be something like I'm talking about that you've thought for a long time, but when someone else says it, it's just like, boom, it just goes off in your spirit, right, in your gut. Or it may be something you've never considered before, but you hear it, and it's just like, oh. <gasps> It almost takes your breath away, right? It's so profound. How do we explain those things? How, how, do we, how do we think about those things? Well, the Gemara has some interesting conversation around, around your, your personal creation. So this is from Parsha Bereshit, and we read about Adam's beginning. And just like Adam, we all have our own individual, unique creation account. And again, this is going to be really self-focused, and I know that for some of us, anything self-focused is bad, right? That's kind of the way, it's kind of the way we've been trained, the way we've been programmed, that we are nothing, we are sin, we are, you know, filthy, whatever, all this stuff. And this is going to be a real stretch for some people. It's going to be hard work for you to kind of let this, let this sit, okay? But just let it sit. And just think about it. I think it's extremely, incredibly healing. And the truth is that we are not nothing. But we'll get to that in a minute. So just to understand first that you have your own unique creation story. You are not a nameless, faceless number in the mass of humanity. If you believe that God is loving and he is omnipotent and omniscient and that God is faithful to his creation and that you are important in his plan, this has to be a foundational understanding. So the Gemara discusses this, this, uh, the events or the, the process of our creation. And this is found in Nidah 30b of the Babylonian Talmud. So the Gemara basically, the discussion basically explains that when we were just a, a fetus, right, just, just the beginnings of life, that we were in a perfect and transcendent state of being. So, you are perfect at that point. Again, I know, born in sin, but just hear me out. At that time, in that transcendent, elevated state, a malach, an angel, came to us and taught us kol haTorah kula, which is all of Torah. And we experienced the entirety of reality with a crystal clear lens, 
Again, transcendent, which I know sounds new agey. Just stay with me. However, the Gemara also explains that before we were born, just before we were born, this angel strikes, strikes us on the mouth. And you know on your upper lip, that little divot you have that goes up to your nose? Apparently, that's where the angel, the Moloch, strikes us, which I think is, is kind of cool and, and funny at the same time. He strikes us on the mouth, and we forget everything that we've learned. So just let's swim in this world. Let's walk around in this world for a little while. So you're a fetus, right? You, you have no, you know, you have no comprehension. You, you know, we don't even really know all the things that are happening scientifically today with a fetus on the, on the subconscious level or even on the conscious level. We, but we, the idea in, in this Gemara is that an angel, you have an angel that is, that is yours, that comes and teaches you all of reality. So, so everything, history, future, all, and teaches you the Torah in all of its magnificent depth. To the depth which, which the, the most scholarly and most pious of Torah students have not even touched yet. We're talking transcendent to the exponential level, right? And you are taught all these things, all the, the, the greatest truths, all the truths of life and reality. And just before you're born, you are struck and you forget those things. So two obvious questions, right? Number one, why does the angel make you forget everything you've learned? And secondly, if the angel is going to cause us to forget, then why even teach us in the first place? So already we're at a different posture than many of us have ever experienced before. Because for many, even in, in religion today, you're, the beginning, the impetus, the, the zenith of your very creation was not good and perfect and right. It was... It was sinful. It was, if not if sinful, it was mired in sin. It was that potential for sin. That's what we tend to focus on, or that's at least the, 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 the background that I have. So in this discussion, there's a, a wonderful sage named Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon answers these two questions as follows. He says, when the Gemara describes the fetus learning kol ha the entire Torah, it isn't referring to the basic, quote-unquote, humash with Rashi, which is kind of a little funny dig, you know, where Rashi walks you through. Rather, this refers to the deepest realms of Torah, to a transcendent level of Torah that lies far beyond this world. This Torah is the very root of reality, and you were granted complete understanding of its every detail. Not only were you shown this level of Torah, but get this, this is awesome. But you also learned your specific share of Torah. You were shown your unique purpose in the world and how your unique role fits into the larger scheme of the human story as a whole. You remember what I said earlier about when God created you, he saw a gap in, in humanity that you needed to fill? This is what we're talking about. He continues, not only were you shown, I'm sorry, um, you were given a taste of your own perfection, of what you could, should, and hopefully will become. Most importantly, though, when the Moloch struck you, 
You didn't lose this Torah. Rather, you lost access to it. Instead of it disappearing, this knowledge and clarity became buried deep within your subconscious. The reason is this. What you received in the womb wasn't real. It was merely a gift, something unearned and undeserved. Well, that sounds familiar to us, doesn't it? The goal of life is to come into this world and rebuild all that you have experienced and understood while in the womb. However, this time it would be real, tangible, and understood because you will have built it yourself. I would add, with the help of Hashem, of course. In essence, your job in this world is not to create yourself, but rather to recreate yourself, to reattain your original state of perfection, holiness, whatever word you want to use there, as you are already you were already shown by the Malak. This time, however, it must be done through free will, by choosing to become great. Only by overcoming challenge and difficulty, only by asserting your willpower, can you fulfill your true potential. In essence, our entire life, get this, our entire life is a story of teshuva, returning to our original higher true self. So that's just one part of, of the first chapter, guys. That, just that alone, that idea. Again, like I said, I know this is going to be kind of a stretch for some of you, maybe, but just that idea, does that just make you like, wow, does that kind of take your breath away? I mean, when I first read this, I was like, this is like, this lands for me. This is, this is it, (laughs) right? This is not it, but wow, what an incredible, again, like I what an incredible world to just kind of walk around in and and take some time exploring. This this is fundamentally different from the identity that I have had for 42 years. This is fundamentally different from the the way that I saw myself, the way I saw I uh, thought others saw me. The way I understood my 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 creation, my genesis, my story. It is fundamentally different than the way I saw all the challenges and all of the, all of the things that have happened to me through life. See, those we, we quote the scripture all the time. God works all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? But how do we, how do we, really, how do we really get a hold of that? How do we really embody that and wrap our minds around that? Well, this is a great, this is a great entry into that world that recreating ourselves with the help of Hashem, Ruach HaKodesh, Messiah, the scriptures, prayer, worship, other people, community. The process of recreating ourselves is, is it cannot be done without difficulty, without adversity without the satans in our life, right? And so what we talked about in the first segment of, you know, people warped us and people, you know, had impacts on us that were negative and life and all these things, that's a really negative way of seeing those things when, when really 
what it is is Hashem's way of helping us to remove the superfluous material from our, that's a hard word to say, superfluous material from the majestic masterpiece that's in the middle. And, and, I, and listen, I want to be super sensitive here. I say that I have had trauma in my life, and I have, but not nearly to the degree that some of you have, that some others have. I cannot, it is amazing to me it is miraculous to me to hear stories of what some people have survived. And I just think, how? How do you survive something like that? So please understand, it's not that I'm saying that God is some kind of you know, maniacal, misogynistic you know, uh, being that is, is trying to force us through stuff. It's not, it's not that at all. Sometimes, many times, bad people just do bad things. Sometimes people are evil and they are, they are oppressors and they are abusive and all those things. That is true. And how does God feel that? This is the whole question of why does God allow suffering, right? Which is not for this episode and something bigger than I want to jump off into. However, we are already, if you've grown up in, in any kind of scriptural education, we already have this understanding of that God works all things together for the good. So no matter what has happened, we have hope and belief and faith that somehow those things are are going to be for our good if we will accept it and we will allow God to do his work. This, this This is the same message. In this understanding and in this explanation, it is if we will allow and submit to the work of the Father and the work of the Spirit, it is allowing us to to shed off the the things that are not us, the confusion, the the milieu, the 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 just the fog that we tend to live in, to bring us clarity. And I know many of you too have experienced this as well, even in the spite of your trauma, in spite of your trauma. So th- he goes on to to talk about it's this beautiful idea of learning or expressing. And I think this is really, really profound. So we talked about earlier how sometimes some things just click, right? Some things just resonate with you, right? So why why do we feel like, or why does that happen? And how do we explain how we, it's like we already know some things innately. Sometimes we just need someone else to bring them out. And it's like, oh, yes. And we call it, excuse me, we call it inspiration. Sometimes we call it revelation, Right? You ever received a uh, what you feel like is a revelation from God? How do you explain that? Is it something that God just dropped into your spirit, regardless of your education or if you ever known? And I know in many circles, I I spent some time in charismatic circles and spiritual circles. This is very much a thing that God reveals something to us that we never could have come to in our own natural man, and it's something that is is beyond rationale, it's beyond, you know, it's beyond our own educational level or, or anything like that. It is revelation from on high. And, and while I do understand and agree with that to a degree, in this context and in light of this discussion from the Gemara and from the Vilna Gaon, what I, what I want to add to kind of fill in that picture is that it's not that it's something new, it's something that's renewed. It clicks. It, it resonates with you in the deepest parts of you 
because you did already know it. It is a part of what your Malach taught you in the womb. It is just God is using either his spirit or someone else to bring it back to the surface. Remember, you didn't lose what you were taught. You simply lost access to it. And through life and through people and through the, the, the work of the spirit, God is, is revealing these things, taking off what, what clouds it, taking away what fogs it up and confuses it, and bringing it back up to the surface where you can see it with clarity. The Torah is already there in us at a, a subconscious level. And, and now we have to invest the effort and the understanding to reveal it and to bring it to the surface and express it in this world. So it's not so much that we are learning, but we are expressing it. Uh, Rabbi Reichman goes on to say, this explains an interesting Gemara, which says that if someone claims that he exerted himself in learning, but has failed to acquire understanding, you should not believe him. Likewise, if he claims to have put no effort into his learning, but has succeeded regardless, you should not believe him. Only one who says that he exerted himself in learning and succeeded should you should he be believed. He, he raises a fascinating question. This, the word um, of, of, of the Gemara is uh, yagati u matzasi, understood to mean I exerted myself and succeeded. However, the word metziah does not mean succeed. It means to find so why does the Gemara use this word instead of another? Well, Vilna Gaon explains that according to this, this idea, genuine learning isn't about achieving something new. It's about, a, it's about finding. It's about finding that which already exists in your subconscious, that which you learned in the womb. This is beautiful. I want to wrap up with talking a little bit about how we grow, how we do this. See, most of us, most of humanity is we grow from the outside in. What do I mean by that? Well, we look around at our friends, our family, society, and then we shape ourselves to fit our surroundings. I mean, everything from the clothes we wear to the way we talk, the things we talk about, our greater values at large, our goals are usually usually, if not a direct reflection, they are usually uh, some sort of reflection of the moles that society has created around us. So think about it in this way, as a kid, right? Before you really understand, understood limitations. You know, I have a nine-year-old son, I have a 15-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, a nine-year-old son, a two-year-old son. And my nine-year-old is in that dreaming stage where he, he wants to be everything and anything, right? He sees something on TV. He reads about something. Dad, I want to do that. Dad, can I have that? Dad, can we, can we go here, right? He's just in that. He's at an exploring, beautiful, creative, boundless, limitless stage, right? What happens to a child that causes them to lose that over time? In a sense, to settle in some ways, and it's not true for everybody, but for most of us, I think, it causes us to settle. Well, already he's being defined by the outside world. He's being what, 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 is, what is passionate in him, the adventurous curiosity of a child, is being classified and defined by an outside world, by molds of sorts. They may be huge molds, right? I want to go to space. I want to, you know, whatever. 
but they're still mold, they're definitions, they're parameters nonetheless. But what happens over time? The limitations, the parameters, the molds, the walls around our dreams get bigger and taller and thicker and more instantiated so that we, we don't think we can get through them. We don't think we're, we can ever be you know, unbound from those. What if we realized that, much like Michelangelo, we talked about at the beginning, what we really are inside are uniquely and perfectly formed beneath the surface. So what, and again, I know this is so contrary to, to the way some of us understand ourselves, but what if what's underneath you is not this sin-sick monster, this wretch that is, is, is ultimately prone to sin before prone to doing righteousness. But what if underneath all the stuff is something unique and perfect and good, divine spark? Our job in life isn't to take a slab of stone and sculpt something beautiful out of it according to what the world says is beautiful. Our job is to discover who we truly are, that perfect, beautiful, righteous, divine spark who we already are, and then to chisel away what doesn't belong and express our inner self to grow from the inside out. This is, like I said at the beginning, I know going to be a stretch for some folks. I know it's going to be hard to get your mind around. You might just go, oh, that's nonsense. The rabbis made that up, blah, 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 whatever. And to that, I would just say, I understand. I hope you are healed and healthy and right and everything is good in your life. But if you're not, and if you're struggling with the way you see life and the way you see yourself, maybe even the way you see God and faith, give this a try. Rabbi Reichman, the journey to your ultimate self. I love you all. Shavua Tov. See you next week.